Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Talent Equation Podcast. If you are passionate about helping young people to unleash their potential and want to find ways to do that better, then you've come to the right place. The Talent Equation Podcast seeks to answer the important questions facing parents, coaches, and talent developers as they try to help young people become the best they can be. This is a series of unscripted, unpolished conversations between people at the razor's edge of the talent community who are prepared to share their knowledge, experiences, and challenges in an effort to help others get better, faster. Listen, reflect, and don't forget to join the discussion at thetalentequation.co.uk. Enjoy the show. Well, hello there, and uh, welcome to a little bit of a different podcast recording. Um, This week, uh, I've invited a load of people who've been on the podcast over the last... uh, year or so 80 odd episodes i think i'm at now and uh, and just said hey hey come and join me let's have uh, almost like a christmas drinks party without the drinks and actually we're not in we're not face to face because we're we're on the internet and uh, and very kindly a number of them said yeah i'll join you for that we'll have a little bit of a chinwag about what's been going on in our uh, in our year and any reflections or key takeaways or learnings we've got so uh, i give you the cast of the talent equation uh, joining me for christmas drinks i hope you enjoy it's not that i'm rushing an early start uh you know, unfortunately things got unfortunately i'm gonna have to uh, go a little earlier than expected but i'll try and get back on again later um it's like i'm going in for early drinks and then heading, heading away and coming back again hey not for the first time hey no <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a great idea absolutely fantastic idea is it's great to I see all the guys that you that you've got on. It'll it'll prove to be a fascinating chat, no doubt. Um, yeah. How what what's up with you? Uh, hurtling towards Christmas with. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm riding the back of a comet. 
<laughs> just waiting to see which which asteroid I clash into crash into. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's fun. I tell you, there's some fun stuff happening. Uh, yeah, but um, uh, what about you then? So, what's been? What's the? I mean, I mean, you've got lots of highlights of the year, I imagine. But um, yeah. so I'm just wondering whether you know what's your what's your 2018 highlights. Yeah, the- yeah, I mean, I, I saw you putting that into the into the group just about you know what's what's that you know is there a, a takeaway or is there a key thing and and it got me thinking um, and I was you know I've, like like anything as you know like there's a there's a real there's a really nice network of us all who like, connect every so often and reach out every so often when there's when there's a problem when you're like oh my god I'm struggling with this can you help and there's always it's always good to have someone at the other end of the, the the phone who just yeah, yeah I've experienced that before and it's horrible and you know but the, I suppose the one thing that consistently came up through the year with all the kind of different chats and stuff was was patience the you know for anyone and I, 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 I like I know the space that you're in and I and I'm not I don't I'm, I'm not in the kind of development space any 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 longer and I, and I feel it, it can kind of have a negative effect on you if you're not in that kind of, you know, that space where it's, it is element of, of the child and of their, you know, the roundness of an individual, let's say, you know, um, because it's, it's such a rich space and it's such a, it's a, such a great proving ground for good coaching, you know. Um, but I suppose what I found over the last year is, is that idea of patience is, is such a premium that if you that, that even more so like you know the kind of space that I'm in in that kind of performance space or where it's you know livelihoods and things are, are at stake let's say yeah. I've myself seen even more so than ever that if if you want to get on there quicker then encourage them to be more patient I know that's a paradox <laughs> but it's almost like slow down you'll, you'll go faster um and it, and I think a lot of that has kind of come out of a lot of the reflections over the year of, around that space of so many people feeding into this space and a lot of the guys that you've had on even just the one I I, I I I'm actually in the middle of one of your your podcasts at the moment but the one the last one I I was on was the um, the guy um, oh McNeil oh uh, Scott yeah like. There's so much stuff in that, so much stuff. But it was—it's so much of it came back down to get away from thinking linearly for anyone's pr- progression, and 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 if you if you can do anything at all for anyone, it is be the coach that gives them time and space to figure stuff out. Absolutely, be that coach, be that that guy or girl who who when they reflect back on their career was like, you know what? She was the coach that actually gave me the space to, to actually find myself, that set me free. That yeah. set me on, uh, on, a, on a real, a genuine exploration of, of where I fit into this whole thing as an athlete. And that's, it's funny, as I said, when you, when you threw that into the group there the other day, I went back over you know my own kind of notes and, at the end of every month, uh, I, I kind of <laughs> tray here in my desk. I'll get on a call with someone and I'll have notes, and I just chuck it into the tray, you know. And before the next the next month starts, I'm going to go through those notes 
I'm mean, like, okay, what were the kind of takeaways? And it was amazing how many times I had, in all, in many different ways, written the word patience down, and I'd have a patience written down in block letters with it in bold loads of different times I've gone over it. Like on one talk, I must have written the word down on the same space eight or nine times because it was so <laughs> drilled into the page, you know? Yeah. I've written down and I, and you know, the way as you're chatting, you might doodle again, it's underlined and it's circled and it just came up a huge amount of time this, this year, a huge amount of time, just that idea of almost be a time architect. Can mm. you, can you be, become that coach that affords the athletes that you are working with time that if they're, that when they're with you, that they feel they have time on their hands as opposed to a lot of things I would hear from athletes is this pressure of having to get there yesterday. Yeah. And it kind of takes me back to that. As I said, what I said at the start to try and encourage more patients because you'll actually get there. Um, It's funny though, that, I think even in the developmental space, everybody's in a rush. Mm. So I've been working with a few organizations of late. And one of the things that I think has been really interesting that I've been reflecting on is how if you want coaches to operate in this way and you know work in this very much more emergent, um, you know, kind of d- development at the speed at which development should happen, you know, which is we, we believe should be richer and deeper, then um, you've got to design your curriculum in the same way. Yeah. And that's the piece of work that hockey have done and others are doing. But you've still got quite a lot of linear curricula in place, uh, athlete yeah. development curricula, which are basically saying, by this age, you should be here. And if you're not here, either you are defective as an individual and therefore we will remove you from the system and bring somebody else in who 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 matches the expected progression rate or we make some sort of you know huge uh, uh, conclusion that uh, the coach is somehow defective because they haven't been able to get this group of individuals up to this particular point in time and both of those things are, are crazy crazy um, and but you can kind of understand that when you have somebody working in a with a linear curriculum, trying to work in a non-linear way, that those two things are going to culturally clash all the time. Yeah, and, and I, I was in Sheffield on Wednesday. There were, eight of us went over from the department here in CIT uh, to the Keith David's Skill Acquisition Symposium because right. Rick done his live the day before with uh, Duarte, and they put on a day, you know, of all the guys and Joe Stone presented, and Martin Rothwell presented, and Ben Strafford presented, Emma Anderson presented. They had all their kind of postgrads, and then of course Keith and Rick and Duarte, who were not obviously postgrads, presenting work and whatever. And it was just really, it was just a really cool day. People putting stuff out there for people, other people to say, eh, "Can I just poke and prod that a little bit?" If you know, but the standout, almost standout lab essentially where where there's live subjects being put through a completely new model is mark's work up in aik stockholm yeah is it's 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 quite literally groundbreaking what they're managing to get through and and i was on the, i was actually on the phone to him last night and and he was even saying again he was like yeah he said and yet we still have a lot of challenges mm. yeah 
they are light years ahead of some of, of a lot of other sports and a lot of other countries and a lot of other, what they're doing in their own club. And yet he still has a lot of challenges. So that kind of makes you think, what? What measure of challenge are some people experiencing? If a club like AIK Stockholm, who now have huge backing from a media perspective and a government perspective and is and even the social constructs around their space in their in the community and the, the parents and the coaches and if they're still in ha- still having trouble and difficulties with coaches saying well no no I, I want I want to do speed today and it's going to be done in this exact way and everyone's form and technique what what hope is there almost for yeah. for, for for others because like their their model, their model is, is is incredible. What they've managed to get done, and and they're only at the tip of the iceberg. He'll be the first to say we're only starting. But speaking of curriculum, if you hear Mark talking about how they are rewriting the documents for their club, he said they they are very particular about removing key words and phrases yeah. to take it out of there. The word product, this product of our system, it's gone. Tapped, it's gone. Mm. You know, elite, it's gone. So that we, so that maybe there are people who are already infected by these terms. But you know what? Anyone who, who picks up this manual next year, well, they're not going to see any sight or sound of these words. And we've got to start somewhere. You know, mm. it's it is a, li- a living, breathing experiment, essentially. You know, um, and it's brilliant to see that they have they've taken that leap. With again, and right across the board, how he talked about connecting the parents into this, mm-hmm. you know, form of life that they discuss and mm-hmm. that they're doing, they're all the work they're doing, like Martin Rothwell's work in rugby league around this space. And it's it's very promising in a lot of ways because you're like, wow, this is so, this is going to be so cool to watch. But then you rock up to your own kids' kind of training, and we are just kind of Joining on in as a, the dad, and you know, I'm here to help. And you you realize this is the, the, the we're we're still a long way from ever getting to even having a conversation that might lead to one day mm-hmm. something like AIK Stockholm, and that'll give you an idea of how far away we are. You know, mm. it's um, I don't know if he told you though. Uh, I was over there not long ago, and um. I got to be in a room with uh, a load of people from the Swedish Sports Confederation right. and um, Mark's two colleagues, Dennis Hortin and um, James Vaughan, presented some of the early findings that they've had from the um, research methodology that they've been using to kind of, I guess, test and track uh, how like the kind of cultural attitudes are embedding within the players, within the coaches, within the parents. They're using this tool called SenseMaker. Yes. Come out a banger. And yes. um, and working with the guys, Al Smith and Mark Upton and uh, John O'Byrne, who, um, who've got this uh, social enterprise called My Fastest Mile. And I actually yes. think it's a really interesting area that because – given the limitations of some of the research methods that we often are challenged by when working in this ecological way, they're essentially using this almost like live tracking to track the lived experiences of the participants. Now that's really interesting and aligns, I think very closely to the approach that, um, you know, you're trying to trying to use, but 
just some of the stuff they shared around some of the kind of challenges in terms of the, the older people involved in the program and their experiences and how this has clashed against their current experiences or previous experiences. It's really interesting. It is. It is. And he made a comment there in, in Sheffield on Wednesday about how sometimes it's the parent coaches, the volunteer coaches who have no coach experience, coaching experience, who catch on to the constraints led approach or this non-linear uh, methodology quicker because yeah. they're coming with any uh, bias. They're not coming with any sense. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Of, well, it should be this way. And all of a sudden, then when you let them, when you actually, when you start from scratch with them in that, with that, they, he, he, was, he was saying just, they get so excited about it that it, the, it's not regimented. It's not incredibly structured that if I don't do this, I'm actually doing something wrong. It's actually, no, 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 just, just be, be with them. Be at one with what's happening in front of you and then see if you can just you know, manipulate it one way or the other to, to determine if you feel, okay, this isn't working. Will we go a little bit more here or not? No, that didn't work. A little bit back here, great. And he said, you know, you can see at times that the, the parent coaches get it quicker and there's got to be, for me, there's something in that, in that there's no, there, and, and, and again, it's probably because of my own experiences, how I want coached. And I remembering that very resistant, most painful transition into how I now coach. But if I, if I never had that, then there wouldn't have been that painful transition, you know, I, but I was trying to hold on to something that I'd, I'd seen surely the coaching badges and all those different things that I've done and the, surely the, the, there is, I have, I have the badge, don't I? Should that must stand for something. And I, I have the, the file that tells me how to do it. That must stand for something. And I can see how that tug of war is at play, you know? Um, and, it's, and that's the trick. That's the tricky, that's the tricky thing. And that's, but then again, like you were saying, I think we, we, we even said about it, Said it when we were chatting the, the last time. It's, there's so many. There seems to be a, a very quickly, a, a very large number of people quickly coming into this space. It doesn't to be you know. There's a lot of good people feeding into this space now. So I think there's we're kind of we're almost closing in on a on a, that crit, critical mass or a, a tipping point of where there'll be enough people to be able to have you know strong conversations with someone who, who, who will come with something to say, no, 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 that there, there's no, there's no evidence behind this. And oh, it's all conjecture. And 
you know, we're coming. I think there there is an there is an emerging, almost like a scene from Lord of the Rings. It's just this huge mass of people running towards something, and I think if we can just uh, have a little have 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 that kind of face off one day. <laughs> it's interesting because with, with enough people who. Revolution will be televised, as they say. <laughs> it's interesting because I was at um, uh, was with Oxford Brooks the other day doing a seminar, and okay. one of your colleagues in the world of academia, uh, very well published, very highly regarded, described constraints led approach as pseudoscience. <laughs> yeah, I saw. That. <laughs> I saw that. So, uh, we didn't we didn't bite, but uh, it was interesting just to hear that you know, and and circular arguments. I think the other phrase was used to describe it. Um, yeah, I which I'd love to, you know what I'd love to do, and I think I'm 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 gonna here's a commitment for you for the new year. I'm going <laughs> to set up a kind of intelligence squared Oxford style debate somehow between. <laughs> almost like you know kind of two ecological practitioners or two ecological academics and two i don't know cog psych academics or you know anti-ecological yeah, yeah, yeah. and and let's just let's kind of you know do it properly structure it so it's not just yeah, a free yeah. for all and then you know kind of have that have that sort of discussion in front of a live studio audience almost mm-hmm. i don't yeah. know if can, even if that's physical but but i think there's got to be some room for that absolutely well, look, and, and we and there's you know there are other there are others you know like like and again they're important. It, it, it's all important to feed the the narrative because the narrative, the more of that that there's going on, the the better the narrative will become. You know, to block it, um, I do think sometimes it can get a little um, uh, dismissive, even to the point of maybe aggressive sometimes. <laughs> Um, but again, great. You know, let let's have a let's have let's have a, a, what are they? You know, it's normally a dance off. So the the equivalent of the Michael Jackson down in the um, in the car park with the the two the two what was that trailer was it or something or beat it? Yeah. Let, let's 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 do it. And I will. I'll be in the audience that night if you put that together. We, we might even have it like a wedding. You know, are you with the groom or the bride? And whichever side you go down and well what, what i'd be keen to do is to uh is to make it work so that it was you had a you had the academics going at it and then you had a sort of equivalent one but it's practitioner led <laughs> and see what people say rusty you're here how are you you're right <laughs> looking very relaxed chilled out <laughs> my new lifestyle is this your new lifestyle yeah, it's pretty cool, if I'm honest. Um, you're just sort of you're catching sort of towards the end because Ed's unfortunately got to dip off, but uh, it's good to see you. And um, we've just been reflecting on the the past year and the way Ed's particularly talking about the way that um, it feels like there's more and more people coming into the coaching space um, wanting to have a really decent dialogue about. Um, you know, coaching approaches that are not what we would traditional, you know, what we would call traditional, linear, structured, ordered, all those sorts of things. It feels like there's a real kind of movement. I don't know whether you've picked up on the same vibe. 
Um, maybe that's just our world. Maybe that's our biases. We're in an eco. We're we're an echo chamber, aren't we? <laughs> a vacuum. <laughs> I, I have a. I have an. A, I have a. a a confession here, uh, Rusty. We've never met, but we I, I know I, I know all about you. And just to let you know, I I have um, the the cards, the Magic Academy cards on my my Santa list. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, so thank thanks because I was struggling. What what am I going? What what can I ask Santa at forty five years of age? And I I, I have enough that and the. Um, Non-Perfect Dad book, in fact. They're my two stocking fillers this year. So. Yeah, Non-Perfect Dad book, here it is. Yeah. There it so, is. So that, yeah, that's on its way to me. <laughs> um, I've, I've sent, my, my letter was posted there to the North Pole the other day, so uh, so uh, thanks. Yeah, well, good, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm enjoying lots of the stuff you're doing. We're coming over to Ireland, actually, at some stage. In, oh, great. In the new year, we've been speaking to a couple of, people, um, Martin McKeeran, who used to be at Newcastle Falcons, and Budge Pountney about coming over. So, Okay, great. Well, get in touch, please. Mm. I guess in answer to your question, um, Stuart, more people are, uh, I think more people have had their world kind of perturbed a little bit, so they're thinking, is coaching this? Right. Well, I'm definitely getting more people asking questions. Now, whether or not they, they want to listen to what I say, I don't know, but... Uh, I'm definitely getting more people that are curious, and and that's, that's great. It's also quite scary for some of them. So I was in Holland last night, and when you actually start to talk about the the fact you've got 30 kids, and you know we're we're shaping each other's brains, and that's quite a big responsibility. Um, and you don't know, you know, there's a new kid at the session in Holland last night and, you know, it's his first ever session and no one knows his background or where he's from or, you know, then suddenly coaching sounds quite complicated. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe just be quite nice to people and it's a reasonable start. <laughs> that sounds so difficult, though. <laughs> to be nice to people. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the fact that more people are curious. I mean, we just I guess we just before that we just kind of got on with it, didn't we? And just accepted that mm. whatever we were told was whatever we were told. I think it's it's exciting. There's lots of uh, lots of information out there. Lots of yeah, and lots of the the thing that I mean the the most powerful thing I've seen with social media is someone like Dave Lottie this year. So Dave posts on Twitter. You know, any chance of coming into other people's environments, and he gets thirty-five invites in twenty-four hours. So yeah. he's in football teams, he's in room. So there's that's the bit I think that's changed is that more and more people are going. We can go and hang out together, and we yeah. don't have to be from the same sport. Um, yeah. We don't have to be coaching under fourteens. Actually, I could learn some stuff in other spaces. So I think that's the, for me that's the stuff that's exciting. And it's exciting that people are now driving it. So I think lots of NGBs, and I know how much you love NGBs, Stuart. <laughs> lots of NGBs need to just be more comfortable with the fact that they don't have to be organising it. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think again, back to another one of your, your, your podcasts, you was with David Hinchcliffe, was it? Yeah. And he was talking about just even how, if, if, you, if you just question things long enough, even how they use video, well, you're, you're, you're going to uncover better ways of kind of doing things, you know? Um, yeah. Nick, 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 Nick Levette's just arrived. Welcome, Nick. 
It was the first thought of seeing Rusty spread out. <laughs> it made me feel slightly erotic and turned on at that moment. It was a really strong start. <laughs> See, weirdly, I had the, I had the reverse in response to that. I can be <laughs> <laughs> next, yeah. um, next time, next time nice. he was doing his hair. And then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, uh, we, we're just in big reflection mode, Nick, talking about. Um, it feels like there's a growing interest, curiosity, desire to find out more, learn more, see more different things, explore in different spaces, come outside of the sport bubble, go into a different sport bubble. Um, off the back, Ed, off the back of um, your conference in Ireland, uh, one of the attendees who found himself sat between uh, myself and Marco Sullivan, he sort of looked either side and went, oh, what am I doing here? Uh, guy, <laughs> he's based down in uh, Henley. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's a great guy. He followed up and um, came up and watched me coach my under twelves. I don't know what he learned from it, but he got right involved, got stuck in. I was experimenting with a new game that night, um, yeah. and you know, and we sort of just worked worked it through and had a chat afterwards. And he sent me through some notes and his reflections and sort of what what he observed. And I'm like, really, you observed all that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was great. That is great. That is great. Uh, and a bit like that, the, the, the fallout, in one sense, or the, the aftermath of, of that uh, event was just it, how it impacted on our local area. The amount of guys just kind of locally that you, you're almost not even aware of that are kind of coming out of the woodwork saying, I've been, I, I've been trying to work in this space. It was great to actually go and see that many people there who were actually all trying to do the same thing, all with the same problems. And, and it's been like that. It just, just as, as I said to you, I think for some of the guys, come on, there's plenty of people out there who are trying to just get outside their comfort zone and they can do that even more so when they realize that there's other people who are happy to get outside their comfort zone. Mm. So, Rusty, we haven't really got onto yours. Did you, did, you, um, did you actually have a little bit of a, did you get a chance to have a bit of a think about what your kind of key learning or takeaway? It's been quite a tumultuous year, a year of transformation for you, moving from one sport to another and moving into the whole, you know, the academy with Fletch. You're obviously on your grand tour. I'd, I'd be interested just to get your, uh, your takeaways from the year, I suppose. I thought, I thought about two things. I thought about one. It's really exhausting working with someone who's not like you. <laughs> <laughs> and having to pretend. <laughs> I don't think it's good for your well-being. But you've worked for the RFU for years. You've worked with all the people who aren't like you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I did to that extent. If you, if, probably if someone's the polar opposite of you, then yeah. it, it's not good for your well-being or your health. So <laughs> I feel liberated. The second one, and, and this is, uh, I mean, I, I randomly went to Holland. Uh, a lady from a magazine uh, emailed me and said, oh, would you come over? And it wasn't really a plan. I actually ended up doing a bit of coaching. But when we arrived, um, we went to an artist's studio. This guy is an internet entrepreneur who's now decided he wants to be an artist. And we sat around what was essentially a kid's uh, tea party table um, with... Uh, Drinks ranging from champagne to yakos, um, food ranging from carpaccio to peanut butter, and with no plan other than just to debate around some questions. So one of the questions was, um, winning and losing is for games, not for conflict. And then another one was, uh, talk about how the world 
accountability makes you feel. And so we just had this really, there's a guy from business, there's me, there was another rugby coach, someone from a magazine and this, and this artist guy. And I, I, my biggest reflection was, and I just need to spend more time doing stuff like that where there's no agenda, I'm not getting paid for action, and I'm just going on a bit of a, you know, I just have a time to think differently about stuff. Yeah. Um, I came up with one idea that I can't share, but I spoke to Fletcher about it yesterday, and he's just like, why have we never, ever thought of that? <laughs> it was worth the trip just for one idea that's made a big difference to the stuff we'll do. So uh, probably just uh, do more of that type of stuff, if I'm honest. I do a bit for that, but very rarely where there is literally, you know, I have no idea what's going to happen in this day. There's no agenda. There's no, probably just escape a bit more. And that, um, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, you, I would say that that's one of the things that you try and do with some of the learning exp- learning environments that you're trying to create for coaches. You basically go, you know, we, you do try and deliberately keep the space open for lots and lots of different routes for the discussion to go down there's some similarities there is there not yeah but i'm doing the i'm doing the organizing there and also just probably to put more time aside for myself because um it can be quite tiring you know coaching and supporting other people and all that type of stuff so yeah it was just quite nice to escape really Ed, um, I also thought that about the um, the conference that you guys ran. I mean, I know there was a, a, an element of a flow and there was a bit of an agenda because obviously we needed to try and keep people on some kind of a journey and, you know, we couldn't make it. But what was brilliant was the space in between where the dialogue could happen and the conversation could happen and keeping that pretty flowing and loose and how valuable that was. Yeah, it's an interesting point because Ali, Phil, Alan and myself got on a call yesterday just to kind of start the, you know, the early chats about the, the, the next one, we're, we're, you know, that difficult second album, as they call it. Um, <laughs> we're going to do every second year to give a little bit of time between, to be, between each one. So we're kind of looking again, it's probably maybe the same month in 2020, April 2020. But the, the, one, the one thing that we were saying is that the, the interaction is, is what was really critical but but to kind of go to Rusty's point about just that no plan element as I know you're aware Stu like the the venue changed literally the day before we had 
organized and planned for a completely different type of venue, which eventually just became the tea and coffee room. And we moved into <laughs> the other space and, and it was your, like your classic kind of needing to be adaptable because everything got completely thrown in the air about 36 hours before we invited the first people arrived to register. And it actually was the making of it because it, I don't think there would have been the same interaction between people if we had stayed in the other, in the other space. And, and also as a result of the bedlam chaos of having to change everything, it totally got us in a much better headspace. It almost relaxed us, the, the fact that we were kind of, what? Oh my, we're never going to get this ready and there's too much. And it actually, it actually was the, the right headspace for us to be in, um, as opposed to we're all perfectly organized. This is going to go swimmingly well. And we're, we're ready a whole day in advance of anyone arriving. And of course, when, when, you, plan anything, when you plan anything to that extent, well, you know, you, you probably overthought it and you haven't, you're actually not ready for, for something to, to emerge organically or anything else. And a lot of what you experienced, Stu, and the others there was, was things that just happened as a result of a change 36 hours out from, from people arriving. Um, and, that, and as you said, probably the most significant feedback we got was there was just huge amount of interaction with, between people. The, the, the talks, the presentations, of course, you know, the, you, you, you make sure you stack that well for if you're putting on an event. But it's, it's all the other stuff around it when it's just free-flowing and freestyling. The, even the way Phil organized the poster stuff, we couldn't believe the kind of feedback we got about that because it was, it was almost like a, a, an open mic session. We yeah. had not planned for that. We had not planned for that. We were going, because we'd never organized something like this as a group before. So we'd all been just going on our own experiences at conferences where we were either delegates or presenters. And we'd never seen it like the way that Phil had come up with. And it was, it, it turned out to be one of the most commented things in our feedback. Just the, the, the interaction around posters was just a really, you know, relaxed and chilled out kind of way of doing it. But, people came away with, I actually got what that poster was as opposed to the, the norm let, that you experience. Uh, so, so not a lot of that was planned, and yet it kind of was planned, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, there's a whole thing there. That it relates, I think, to a little bit around coaching and any, or, or, or the design of any learning environment, which is if it's overly planned, overly structured, you lose you, what you're what you're going to lose then is the opportunity for exploration creativity and and novelty yeah and and things to take place there that, that you would not there to expect now that's not to say that there can't be any planning yeah you know we, we need some idea or some some structure or or actually you can be on a continuum can't you because actually yeah. if you're going in there you know you, you hear about these ideas of like unconferences which are completely self-directed completely led by by the group in terms of the conversation on the day I attended Nick and I actually attended one run by the guys at my fastest mile. And it was, it was disconcerting because mm. sometimes you can go into that scenario. You've traveled miles and you're not going to get what you wanted to get out of it. So it can be a bit of a challenge. So you need a bit of a balance, but 
it's where you place that balance in the design of that learning space that still enables that that kind of discovery exploration to take place are you saying it depends Stuart is that what you're saying saying again what I'm saying it depends he's definitely I'm not, not saying I'm definitely not saying it depends I'm definitely saying that it's it's just nuanced should we say that <laughs> it's a bit like a conference is like a meeting we have lots of expectations around tradition and what it looks like and yeah. so why do people have to be sat down in a meeting why does it have to be an agenda why does it have to last exactly an hour uh, why isn't it based around questions why does it why do all the people have to be in the same room for the meeting you know, loads of lots of stuff around conferences that would freak out a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to start talking about, you know, a world that's non-linear, how are you going to how are you going to talk about mm. it in a linear conference? Yeah. Would be my question. Well, even even on that, let's say you go back to, I, I got a photo. Nick Winkleman was the opened our conference. So he's the head of athletic science and performance for the IRFU, and he he called me. I don't know. It was 35 minutes before the conference. He was like, Ed, I'm about out from you and just it's crazy traffic there's been an accident and I was like okay okay <laughs> there's nothing you can you know and we said okay well look do what you can we might just move something and you kind of turned to the guys and said and Nick, Nick's, Nick's going to be a little late and, 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 and again and if any of you know Nick that's the last thing you would have that, that, that you'd expect from him he's so organized he's incredibly professional and so I was, I was like, so look, look, we didn't expect, you certainly didn't expect this kind of thing. So we're saying, look, well, we might just move this around maybe then. And I don't know, and all of a sudden, about, I'd say 90 seconds before we were about to say, okay, we're actually going to change things around. Nick comes through the door. Now, I, like, I don't know how he covered an hour's worth of driving in 30 odd minutes. And, and it was, it, it just, it, it changed even, he said himself, he, it changed even the energy from him because he was, wired for his for his discussion then like and his practical you know and it was incredible and and he and it was a brilliant way to open to open it and maybe that wouldn't have been as energized if he didn't drive like Lewis Hamilton down from from Dublin to Cork and and using roundabouts the chicanes and the like you know Kept to the speed limit though, didn't he? Ed? He didn't break the speed limit at any stage. No, 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 not at not at all. And in, in fact, when he when he called me uh, on the telephone, uh, he pulled in at that time. Um, he pulled in. Yeah, it was at a rest stop. In fact, Stu, <laughs> Stu, I just seen the time. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go, and I'll see if I can get back on later on. Okay, when I'm when I'm wrapped up here. No worries. Cheers, Ed. Good to see you guys. Have a good one. Have a good break. If we don't chat to you later. So, Nick, um, you've had a tumultuous year. You must have plenty of takeaways. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> did you a disclosure, did you? <laughs> no, well, the beauty of it is that I didn't. <laughs> um, because as they were, as they were um, uh, opening the door for me, they weren't in a position to make me do anything. Um, uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, I have kept counsel on um, many views. Uh, Having said that, I can imagine there are some interesting reflections. You don't necessarily have to go into detail, but I imagine you've got some interesting reflections on, on this year. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, um, comparing organisations is an interesting thing. Okay. And, um, your expectations, you know, and coming from a very big bureaucratic organisation uh, with a certain set of um, enforced values, not necessarily ones that the staff had decided themselves, um, to a place now where the current set that we now have, we've all had input into, it even just makes you think differently about the place that you work. Um, and I don't think one's better or worse. I, I just think they're different. Um, and, and the values that we, that we certainly have now um, are about being something. They're not just words on a bit of paper. You know, they're be empathetic and be respectful. So, so, so you, it, 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 it's about a way of behaving. And it's really interesting now because the organization, you know, we talk a lot now about great coaching being about people and it is just about people, you know, whether you have a, a name of an organization above you uh, or you have a certain kind of way of making decisions, you know, I reflect back now at my uh, at my 14 years at the FA. And the FA is a great organization with a lot of great people in, but sometimes you get a bad person and that becomes the challenge. And I think when I look at then a lot of sporting pathways, and I now work across a lot of different sports pathways, um, I think if you've got good people that all want to achieve good stuff, then amazing things can happen. But if there's one person in there that becomes the blocker, then you have a challenge. Um, so the, I kind of look back and think now that, you know, if, it, if you could find your way around that blocker, and certainly when I look at, at different sports, if you've got great people getting into decision-making positions, then I think some pretty cool stuff can happen. Um, and it's about making sure that we can influence systems and leaders to make sure that they put in good people into those positions. Um, I don't necessarily know how, how we do that. And I think that's probably, um, you know, more your day job role, Stuart, to kind of help influence that, I think. Um, but the, um, the work that, that we do now around working with coaches, I, I think if you've got good people in decision-making positions, they allow you to crack on and do some pretty good stuff with the coaches. And then the coaches make the magic happen with the kids. Um, and you just get this big spiral and snowball of some pretty great stuff going on. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting year, um, with a lot going on and trying to shape what we're all about and have a, uh, and have a really good view on what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and how we're doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's been, um, it's been really interesting. And then starting a project where we've probably spoken to 60 or 70 of, of of the world's I don't know if experts is the right word, but people with expertise, really good expertise. Yeah, that's you know, a be- that's a better phrase, Nick, definitely. Yeah. Uh speaking to sixty or seventy people of of that ilk um to help shape what we're doing uh will out the outcome and the output of that kind of project will be a really strong piece of work that says, right, talent development environments you know, these are the things that you really need to have involved in them. Um, puts us in a really, really good position with some of the stuff that we're doing to be able to go to sports systems, pathways, coaches, and say, look, 
here's what the here's what some really good thinkers in the world are saying. You should probably consider this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and if sports then turn around and go, well, we believe in something entirely different, that's fine. You know, you crack on. I'd love to know who they're, um, who, who's informing those decisions because um, I don't think there'd be many experts within the world or people with expertise in the world that we haven't spoken to that are really kind of influencing systems. So that's a really rambling way of not saying very much, I think, um, uh, other than the fact that it's been an interesting year uh, and we're probably now in terms of my day job stuff on the way to doing some some pretty interesting work with coaches and coach developers and systems I think. I've, I've, it's interesting and i'd be interested to get your thoughts on this as well rusty but i've um I've had some really interesting experiences with leadership in my career what does interesting mean sure interesting is a crap word what does it mean but what, what, what are you really well, trying to say it's terrible. It's I'll, terrible. I'll expand on it don't worry <laughs> um Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I reckon I've been, in my career, 20-odd year career, I reckon I can count on one hand how many people I can say were really good leaders. Um, and one of the things I've noticed is that for some reason, organizations, I believe, have a perception of a good leader that is the absolute opposite of a good leader um, in, in the eyes of the person being led. Sorry, mate, go on. What do you think their perceptions are? Give me, give me the top five things those organizations think good leadership is. Okay. Um, they're strong, um, uh, you know, um, clear-minded and very, very, uh, very clear idea of what they want to achieve. Um, uh, uh, very procedural, very clear on procedure and process and structure. Um, they are, uh, what's the other word I was looking for? Have um, quite powerful personalities, forceful personalities that are... Um, alluring i guess and then the fifth element is um that they uh, are prepared to be tough when they need to be so they have a toughness i've noticed they quite like hierarchies as well and hierarchy yeah that's a good example yeah yeah and, and they quite like spreadsheets and recording <laughs> stuff and talking about <clears throat> activity rather than effectiveness and thinking often short-term rather than long-term. Yeah. And that all the stuff like caring and love is pink and fluffy. Yeah. 
Yeah, all mm. the people bit, that's all just pink and fluffy. It's about the numbers, hitting the targets, achieving the goals, whatever it is. And that's deemed to be good leadership. And I've seen it everywhere. Mm. And it's very odd. I, I'm, I've now got, I reckon, a pretty clear view in my own head. of. So I manage, there's a, a team of six. I reckon I've got a pretty clear view of how I want to do that with those guys now. So I, I think we've managed to simplify it down to... Um, you want people to be empowered and crack on and do some really good stuff and think about things themselves, right? In the same way that we would do in a coaching session. So we want to give them the control. But in order to give them the control, they need the competence and clarity. So are they good enough and have the skills to be able to do what they need to do? Are they clear about what we're trying to do? So we want to kind of get to the stage now with with um, with our team about making sure, right, we're all we're we're all pretty awesome about our jobs and doing our jobs. We're really clear on what we're trying to achieve. Then I can let them crack on with it. That's ultimately, you know, as simple as it gets. Yeah. Project oxygen is a good thing to look at. So project oxygen, Google classic Google question. Do we need managers? Um, We do. If they have some of these behaviors, characteristic skills, number one, uh most important one is being a good coach. So actually, if you're responsible for, I think they said, if it's more than six people, then you should be spending 80% of your time helping those people get better. And my observation is that not enough people near the top think of management or leadership as making, supporting, helping other people to get better. So I'm very fortunate. I get to work with quick, Nick's quick Googling Project Oxygen. No, 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 I'm doing, I'm multitasking. Nice. And uh, uh, my job's now self-selecting, so I don't have to sit with a coach and pretend he wants to get better and that he wants me to be there. And so I get to work with some pretty cool people, so Birmingham and hockey and Tyler Grange and cricket. And, you know, I get to hang with lots of people that that think like that. So that's I've, I've become very fortunate, really. Um and the other thing I've been thinking a lot about is how they hire. So I'll give you an example. So uh, Tyler Grange, who I do a bit of stuff with now, don't do interviews. I mean, interviews would have lots of tradition. Um, why do they have to wear a suit? Why are we interviewing them? Um, why doesn't either party bring photos that bring to life? Why they think they you know. So there's lots of different ways of interviewing, and TG are doing some, some cool stuff with that. Um, but... NGBs just seem to do what they've always done. Um, and, you know, maybe you just go and get someone completely independent to select the people to get interviewed. Um, there's also a worrying trend in sport of not even advertising jobs, mm. leadership positions, which is like, wow, that's – so you you don't want to know what's out there. Yeah. Do you know what? One of, one of my um, – we, we were talking about it this week. One, one, of, one of my proudest moments this year is is one of the new members of our team girl called Jenny and the interview process that we went through to recruit her. Well, I say an interview process. It wasn't really an interview process. It was getting uh, a load of people to share some stuff. And we kind of went, right, well, this is the kind of person we're looking for. Um, so they'd done some video stuff as part of the, uh, before we even got to the, to the shortlisting process, you know, they talked about how they, would develop people, what their thoughts were, what the models they used were. And again, we was like, well, there's no way of doing it. 
You know, you just send us a to two, three-minute video clip. We have one bloke that walked around a national stadium around the bottom and he pinned flip charts to the wall. Awesome. We've got <laughs> one guy that did it as he was driving. Not so... Uh, <laughs> so um, Is it Nick uh, health and safety conscious. <laughs> um, but, uh, but fine. We had some bloke that just chatted. There was some bloke who had it filmed and he talked about stuff. Like... You know, so we're looking at creativity and different ways of doing stuff. And then when it came to the kind of the day, it was just a load of different tasks where they worked together, where they did stuff in different ways. They had to do real life coach developing of real problems, of real stuff that would happen in their jobs. Not sit down and, you know, can you tell us about a time where you've had to deal with conflict? No. Can you sit down with this coach and help him get better in half hour? Because that's what's going to happen in the real world. Um and out of it, we, we've ended up with um, a member of staff who is, is pretty cool. Um, and, and they're looking at, you know, we looked at the knowledge, skills and behaviours in a real different way. But one of the best examples I've seen of that this year is um, a nursery looking to recruit a, uh, a new member of nursery staff. And typically, you know, they're, they're, I don't know your experiences having kids of taking your kids to nursery um, but they're all girls, um, and uh, what they wanted to try and do was get away from, you need a level two in this, or you need a BTEC in this, or you need a GCSE in this, and um, and they and a lot of the kind of the, the words on, the, um, on what they were looking for was, do you have the skills to read a story where you're going to get interrupted 15 times in one sentence to ask something that's nothing to do with the actual story that you're reading. Mm. You have the patience to deal with that kind of moment, you know, and what they did was they talked about the reality of working with two and three year old kids and just said, can you do that as a job? You know, do you fancy that? Not just, well, you need a level two in this and, you know, and again, it was a pretty, pretty decent way of starting to look at stuff. So we did that and it was a really cool way that I think that we've done in the end now of getting somebody that's, um, that's going to be really good at helping coaches. So um, advertising based on the type of, on the, on the way the role would, and actually mapping the selection process through, through the, the almost trying to mirror it against how the role would be. Well, that's yeah, absolutely, because that's the kind of thing we were pointing them for, isn't it? Who, who knew? Who knew that would be a good idea? <laughs> well, I don't know, but it seems to have worked for us at the moment. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I guarantee there's no causal link between that and n equals one sample. I get that, but, <laughs> but so far, I'm on a hundred percent hit rate. <laughs> I've seen quite a few coaches to spend time with uh, primary school teachers because I think they're rock stars. Because you know they're doing exactly what you say. You know your coaching session has been interrupted. You know, the, the, the primary school teachers are just experts at just handling chaos and just actually, yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, related world for, um, for coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, Peter's joined us. I don't know where he is. He's got some sort of interesting Swedish sign behind him. Um, he's decided to take his video off probably, I Thanks. imagine. <laughs> He didn't like the look of it. How are you, Peter? I'm good, thank you. But I'm I'm even better without video, actually. <laughs> I was going to ask you where you were. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm in dark, cold Stockholm, so you don't want to see that. <laughs> um, Rusty, Nick, have you met Peter before, or uh, just? I think I have. But... Okay. Do I have? Because you, but you were drunk when you introduced me to him. <laughs> oh, that's true. We were at the Coke Awards, weren't we? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I remember, but you don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That was a busy night. It was a busy night, Nick. So, uh, Rusty, this is Peter, Peter Matson, who um, I had the privilege of working for. So, we, we, Peter, just before you came on, I'll embarrass you. Just before we came on, I was talking. We were talking about leadership, and I was talking about how in my career I've been. I think I've been led well about four or five times in my career and definitely the time I spent working for you five years trying to, I guess, enhance, improve, modernize the talent system in English golf was definitely some of the, the best times. And, and actually a lot of that was from the point of view of you just going, right, get on, make it happen <laughs> <laughs> and giving yeah. me the space to do it. Yeah, well, thank you. I I do think that is one of the both challenges and I guess tricks of leadership, uh, giving people the space to to allow them to actually do what they're good at, and not getting in their way with unnecessary procedures. What with all the stuff we call management. Mm. <laughs> You can say uh, that again. Uh, yes. Definitely. Um, so anyway, what was we've just been sort of sharing some of our thoughts and reflections over the year and this, that and the other. And I just wondered whether, you know, 2018, for a bit, fairly busy year, I guess, for you. I know you've got various things you're, you're planning and working on, but any big reflections or takeaways? Yeah, well, I, I thought about that question because I, I knew you'd be asking it. And uh, I think... Where I am now compared to, I guess, where I was when you and I worked together, uh, I've gone from, uh, in a way, coaching individuals or teams of individuals to trying to coach organizations, Mm. uh, which is an interesting move uh, and I, I obviously today work for the Swedish Sports Confederation. I manage a number of people internally uh, in in three departments but all in all all those departments are there for one reason and that reason is to, to support other organizations, our member organizations, the sport federations uh, and the support is there to both support them to grow their sport, develop their grassroots, uh, anything from sort of sport for kids to sport for for everyone pretty much, uh, and also to help them excel uh, in terms of whether it's Olympic medals or Paralympic medals or world championships. And, uh, and I think there's certainly some similarities when it comes to coaching whether it's individuals or organizations but there's also some differences and what you just said uh, I think is is one of them sort of not uh, not being kind of tempted to be too complicated Uh, I think a lot of what we try to do is based around sort of having those organizations work on their their development plans their high performance plans and so forth and and it's quite often easy to be sort of 
very ambitious in those plans. So you sort of you want to put everything in a in a plan. You you've sort of got these great questions, and all of those questions just have to go into the template that that the organisation is to work with. And some of that will be really good, and some of it will be just sort of too much. And I think that's an interesting balance to try and and strike. So not not like we've just been talking about planning, funnily enough, and, and, and <laughs> not not overly constraining through, and 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 not and then and then reducing the opportunity for people to have those kind of moments of epiphany where they go, actually, you know what, you know what we've discovered that actually what we had planned isn't quite what we thought, and actually we've got to move in a new yeah. direction because the danger exactly. is that you end up with people sticking on the course when mm. actually everything's telling them that they should change course. Mm. And I think that probably goes for, for organizations as well as individuals. Uh, I've, I've seen that with individuals on the golf course as well, that, that here's my plan, here's what I need to do, and I'm sticking to it sort of until doomsday, uh, but I'm not paying enough attention to where that plan is actually taking me. Uh, am I improving? Am I constantly getting better? Uh, and that question should be asked uh, sort of no matter if you're an individual or an organization trying to improve. And the, the skill I think here in, in terms of planning for me is being... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Intuitive enough to understand when the deviation needs to take place and what that might need to look like. And you have to be very, I guess, skillful and aware, hyper aware of what's happening in your space in order to be able to make informed decisions about what next course of action might, might be required. Mm. And, and you need to be quite innovative, I think. You need to be sort of open-minded enough to, to dare to try new things. Uh, and, and at the same time, not sort of, not being uh, able to or willing to stick to something that sort of hasn't yet uh, shown any signs of, of sort of effect on, on what you're trying to accomplish. So it's a delicate balance, I think, to strike uh, between sort of trying new things and, and sticking to what you're actually trying. Yeah. Um, any reflections on that, guys? I was... Um... I remember asking a question to uh, a world championship canoeer who was, um, I said, well, how do you reflect on training? And she said, how close do we stick to the plan? Uh, what do the best canoers in the world do? And she said, they adapt. Uh, I would be thinking, you know, that clearly you would want, in, in all sports, you would want skillful, adaptable players 
you would definitely want skillful, adaptable coaches. And 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 despite your evidence, um, Stuart, you would want skillful, adaptable leaders. Why don't we spend a lot a lot more time developing adaptable learners and performers, or adaptable learners? that can become adaptable performers. Why is that not uh, up there high on the agenda within coaching? It's hard. Ah, Dan Abrams, welcome. Welcome. Hi, guys. <laughs> I thought I'd best introduce you before you, uh, before you chip in. Go on, because it's hard. So tell us more. Dan, I'm loving the Christmas homeless man look. It's a strong one. <laughs> This is my this is my everyday look. <laughs> I love it. This is this is why I wear my my working from home look. So when you when you saw me on Skype the other week, Nick, I was uh, I had my makeup on, I had my hair booth on, you know. Whereas this is <laughs> yeah, this isn't so good. Um, oh wow, it's sort of like a ba- baptism of fire. I've stepped into some really challenging questions here. Thanks so much, guys. Um, why is it hard? Because I think mental flexibility is one of the toughest things. I mean, it's a real higher cognitive function, isn't it? The, the, to have the capacity. I'm mean, just listening, caught the tail end of Peter there talking uh, from a golfing perspective and you know, uh, working with a number of clients who are operating out on, say, the European or the US tour. Um, it's having the capacity to step back, having a plan and having the capacity to step back and, and ask yourself, okay, um, is what I'm doing be, uh, is what I'm doing effective here? It is tough because, you know, how long do you keep doing it? Uh, it, it, it it's almost an impossible thing to answer. Again, I'm just coming from a golf perspective is do you keep going? Do you keep going? Do you keep going? I always hear this quote, the definition of madness is, is doing something time and again um, and expecting a different result. But sometimes you've got to keep doing the same things to, to, to keep improving and to keep getting going to where you want to go. Um, uh, whereas obviously there's other times where you've got to say, say stop. I think for me, as I was listening to, to Peter, again, I just jumped on the line here, but as, as Peter was talking, I was just thinking about communication, the importance of communication. So from, a, from an individual sport perspective, that's the communication between the player, his or her caddy, and myself as sports cycle uh, with the coach, and my communication with that player's coach. From an organization perspective, it's inter- and intra-departmental uh, conversations. It's conversations with your players. You know, as from a coaching perspective, you know, let's go straight into the player-led stuff. It's having a conversation with the player. What do you think? How do you think this is going? Do you think this is going to eventually get help you get to where you want to go um, before making any judgment on that? Um, so, uh, you know, pivoting is, is is a bold move, and it's and it's that mental flexibility is tough. It's really difficult. But do you not think, though, that um, I think it's tough if you've already set out that there's a clear goal and method and approach and everything else at the start. Um, if, you, if you leave space, um, I mean, I tried to convince people uh, in, in the production of plans, strategies, I mean, like national policy documents almost, to say we deliberately need to keep space in here because we know where we want to get to 
and we know what uh, a desired end state might look like or we have a, a, an idea of that and the reason for that is because people have said this would be a great desired end state um, and we know also some things we might need to embark on in order to start on that journey and that they're also things that we might want to do their approaches that we might want to take key areas of focus but what we don't know and what we're not going to pretend to know is everything about the how of that everything about how we might achieve that because we deliberately want to try and keep that space open to give us the opportunity to be exploratory and have some discoveries and, the, and part of the reason for that is it's arrogant to think that we know we know something but we don't know it all so i have written national policy documents with great big hole in the middle and it, it was very very difficult to get leaders to go with that their, their their view was this is light on detail why aren't you telling us how you're going to do it how don't you know why don't you know what you're going to do and i and my argument was well firstly we don't have enough information secondly i don't know we ever will so what we need to do is to be flexible enough to learn as we go learn learn continuously measure track monitor progress feel feel how we're going and then we can then make judgments as we move like this iterative learning approach before before anybody else just jumps in on this welcome to david hinchliffe who is rocking the uh christmas hobo beard thank you david you're looking fan fabulous over there i like the way you've done that oh, i can make it better hang on <laughs> hang on i can make it better Oh, yes, there, there you go. go. The Santa hat is with it as well. That's, that's awesome. Now we're ready. <laughs> and Phil, <laughs> Phil Carney, how are you? Very good now. How are you all doing? Excellent, excellent. Nice to see you both in your car like I am, whereas everybody else happens to be. Rusty's basically on his chaise long, uh, yeah. chilled out. Oh, Nick is lovely. in his, I'm what I assume soon. to be, is his home office. Dan is we're working from home, and Peter is, I guess, probably waiting for a flight knowing you, Peter. Out shopping. Out shopping, oh, oh what a yes. nightmare, isn't it? Oh. It's it's Friday dinner, waiting to make it to the dinner table. Just need to pick it up from the shop first. <laughs> well, you're all welcome to my little Christmas party. Um, and David's the, won the prize for the most Christmassy attire, so well played, David. <laughs> You've Thank probably you. just come in on the end of us talking about, we're actually talking a little bit about leadership planning. We're talking about, you know, even just learning spaces and creating and designing learning spaces and why, why there's so many leaders who, and so many organizations who seem to feel that really structured and prescriptive plans uh, are a means by which to achieve our goals. And we feel something different and we're just interested to just re reflect on that. But before we delve further into that, before I want to ask each of you, because uh, Dan's just arrived, Phil and David and Phil have just arrived. We've been talking about our annual reflections. So Dan, seeing as you were here first, any, 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 any moments of clarity that you've had this year or any um, areas of reflection that you think are worthy of sharing? Um, I don't know if they're worthy of um, uh, sort of uh, having a massive conversation about them. I wouldn't be so bold as to say, say that. But I suppose a few things this year. I think um, obviously I'm a sports psychologist, so I'm going to come very much from the sports psych perspective. But I think three things for me this year. I think uh, number one, um, it's easier to normalize mental skills in an environment by accepting by helping that environment accept vulnerability that's become much more if i i would never have said that five or six years ago 
but my understanding of human functioning within sporting environments is it's now it's vital to accept vulnerability as uh, an everyday thing on and off the pitch and the court and the course I think that 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 volume of that noise has been turned up for me dramatically having worked at uh, various levels um Number two, if you want me to go on, I'd say um, I would say servant leadership, the importance of that um, as an optimal style of leadership. How do you describe servant leadership? How would you, how, what, what is your understanding of it? Um, well, I'm extraordinarily biased because at the moment I'm trying to um, <laughs> semantically, linguistically frame that with reference to my psychosocial model because I'm a shameless marketeer. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, I, I would uh, I, I would say just from a very basic perspective, being being just being player led i know that sounds really cheesy to say but i just experiences i'm having just had over the summer i'm having now at the elite level just the importance of asking the questions empowering players to find solutions and and i know that's is is well trodden but um i just think we can all get so much better at doing that because we're at times so keen to jump on the I know the answer. I know the solutions. So I think that that's just a big one for me personally. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a fi- final one very, very quickly. And it will not necessarily be particularly in keeping with the talent equation, but um, players, absolutely. Certainly at the elite level, players need to have a structure to their mindset. Um, I'm sorry. I absolutely vehemently believe that players at the very elite level, at least, at least at the very elite level, for them to optimise their ability to high perform more consistently under pressure, absolutely need to have a structure. And when they don't, they will not be the best that they can be. And I'm talking about elite level. So obviously that's where I mostly function. So that's me. That's my feedback for the year. <laughs> Epiphanies. So um, when you say a structure, yep. um, what you, I assume what you mean by that is that there is some kind of... Um, I guess mental framework or architecture within which the the individual ha- operates, or something along those lines. Is that what you're thinking? Uh, I I kind of lost you there, Stu. But when you when you said framework, uh, absolutely. So I think it's really, really important. And again, this is part of normalising any any uh, coaching culture. Um, just giving players a bit of a framework um, and then helping them uh, fit their own personality characteristics and specific mental skills needs into that framework. So you then need a skeleton uh, and, and, and then helping them as individuals find the best way for them to get the most from that framework. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of, I, I'm, Hey, look, as I say, I'm a sports psychologist, so that's, I'm deep in that stuff, mm. you know, as a coach, that's very relevant to you, but perhaps there's more surface level stuff for you guys as coaches. Maybe, I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I, I'm really deep in, you know, the, the sports psych world. So my job is to help players have a, a structure to their mindset 
And the more I work uh, at the elite level, the more I believe that that's vital. So having that framework, as you allude to. Yeah, and and I think it's important for me to, the reason I distinguish between those things is because I think it's important to talk about kind of a framework or an architecture um, more so than, say, a structure, because a structure evokes the idea of procedural, it evokes the idea of inflexibility, whereas with something like a framework or, or, or a scaffold or something along those lines, there's still scope for that to uh, evolve, uh, emerge, and there's still opportunities within a framework for various things to, to kind of to take, to take shape. So that was just what, what my little just thoughts around that idea. But I wouldn't, um, it's a, that's a separate podcast that we can jump on another time, Dan. I'd be interested to explore that with you. Uh, David... You, what, what, what's been going on in your world and what are your uh, kind of key reflections on the year? Um, just to, before I say that, just to say about the idea of the framework and the structure, hmm. what I, um, I always think of that analogy that you told me, I'm not sure who you got it from, but about the opening and the closing of the gates. Yeah. And, you know, it, if you've got gates, then you've got space to run around, you know, in the, in the fields between the gates. But, um, you know, if you, if you build too much structure around it, all you've got is just, you know, people, straight lines for people to go in and they can't, you know, they, they're, they're too restricted. Yeah, so that, you, it's that, a certain amount of restriction, but not, not so much that you can't do anything except the one thing that is prescribed. And then you can choose how many of those gates should be open, how many of those gates should be closed yeah. in the different fields. The fields of affordances, I call that, which is, which I... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Got yeah. from Keith Davids at Phil and uh, and Ed and Ollie's conference. Uh, the fields of affordances. Open and close the gates. And then you can yeah. be more, you can have more possibilities for action open and less possibilities for action open. Did a session like that with um, Southampton Academy recently where we, we closed a lot of the gates. I think they were quite surprised that I'd closed so many of the gates off, but we were working in a particular space, and that was the that was the the nature of the of the work. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, I interrupted you. Uh, yeah, um, I think the big thing for me this year has been how I've moved away from sort of raw data, if you like, numbers, raw numbers, and analysing numbers. And I'm big on that, and I still do quite a lot of that one of the things I've realized is you can't just because you can't measure, it doesn't mean it's worthless. So you need to make sure that when you, uh, certainly I'm saying you as if it's everybody, certainly in in my experience, there's a lot of things that you can get done without necessarily having to measure them. And sometimes doing those measurements detracts from what you're trying to do. So you can, if you can, yeah, you know, if you can change a behavior, for example, you know, that's not necessarily something you're going to, you're going to measure with a, you know, a statistic, but it is something that you can see, you can get a statistic out of it at the end of it. So, you know, I mean, you know, in my world, it's more runs or, or more wickets or uh, more wins, but it, it, sometimes it's, it's less about, you know, can we put a number on this and more about, 
you know, how does this feel and how how is this working? How does this, you know, what what do you think about this rather than you know what do the numbers say? Okay, so so you've you've kind of made a deliberate move to be kind of less of a slave to the numbers. Is that fair, or am I over over egging that pudding a bit? Just use them as a tool, you know, with with a a limit to its application. It's not it's not a panacea. It doesn't solve everything. And this is a person who did a forty two page statistical analysis of my club's um, performance last season. So it's not like I've thrown the numbers away. <laughs> but a lot of the time, but when I get to the conclusion, I say, you know, I end up saying, well, here's a thing. Here's a thing that I think has happened. Here's some numbers behind it. But actually, you can't measure this. So you know, we'll never know. You'll never know. The, the one, the one that springs to mind is um, the batting collapse, right? Which is a classic thing that happens in cricket. You know, you lose one wicket and suddenly you lose four wickets, and you know, it's why does that happen? Why does that happen? And you, you can analyze the numbers as much as you want, but at the end of it all, you, the psychology behind it is not something that's easy to to measure. So you have to sort of think to yourself, okay, well, I can't. I came up with all kinds of statistical ways to try and analyse the collapses we had last year. And the conclusion I came to was sometimes it, it happens and you can't really measure why it happens. Um, and then you have to come up with solutions to, to deal with it that aren't based on numbers. Did you notice even any correlational patterns, though? Um, yeah, yeah, there were some things. I came up with some ways of trying to measure it because I haven't got access to the, the vast amounts of data that happens in professional cricket, for example, you know, I had to sort of uh, guess at what some things are. So I tried to make a guess of the, the quality of the pitch, for example, or the quality of the opposition bowling or the quality of the opposition fielding. I had to make some guesses around that and put some numbers on that. And there were some things that I noticed, like, you know, for example, in games that there were batting collapses, um, the the number of wickets per defensive shot played, for example, was much higher. So does that mean that the pitch wasn't very good? Because, you know, normally a defensive shot is more reliable than an attacking shot. You know, you're you're less likely to get out, but you're also less likely to score. So, you know, does that say that it was a bad pitch? Um, what was the percentage of catches to the percentage of drops as a way of trying to say this is how good the opposition's fielders were on that day? In one game, for example, they didn't drop a catch. They took five catches and um, they were all in the slips and they didn't drop one. And we were bowled out for 97. Now, correlation is not cause, of course, but that's got to help, hasn't it? If you don't drop a catch, if five catches go to hand and you catch them all, that's going to help you. So, The law of averages would suggest at least one of those went down and somebody's given a reprieve. Well, you know, certainly in the league we play in, you know, 70% is probably about right. You know, any more than 70% is about right. You never see over 80%, hardly ever. So to, for, for 100%, for five out of five being caught, that's very rare. But obviously it happens. So, you know, there's, there's a good example of try, almost sort of uh, overly trying to put numbers on things when actually you might look at it from a more psychological perspective and say, well, what was going through the batsman's mind when he walked out when three wickets had fallen really quickly? Was What was he thinking? And... You know, you can ask him, but you never really know. So, um, it's the old it's the old adage, isn't it? You know, not, not everything that uh, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts yeah. can be counted. Your batsman needs a structure, <laughs> a mental structure. Yeah, a mental framework, Dan. Well, 
Yeah, I've, I've actually, funnily enough, I've just, I've just looked up uh, structure as a verb. It's to give a pattern or an organisation to. Okay. So. Okay, uh, well, we, uh, can, we can live with it then. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, I was just about to ask you actually. What? Uh, so there's a there's a book here, Dan. So we've had um, golf tough and soccer tough, cricket tough. Surely has got to come out. There's got what's the what does what does the psychologist literature or what does the psychologist community think about? Is there is there any been anything written about batting collapses? Because they are quite an interesting psychological phenomenon on both sides, on the fielding side and the bowlers and the kind of what's going through their minds and the flow and and you know kind of the ball hitting the right space and over and over and over again and just everything that seems to happen goes right you know all those sorts of things versus the the you know the batsman kind of coming out and the level of fear and all these different things happening their level of preparation all these sorts of different things what what's going on do you reckon I, sure, I, I, this sounds like a massive cop out but you've really summed it up yourself you know the perception the perception of a player no matter their sport is going to be shifting depending on what's going on um, on the pitch or the court or the course and so you know uh, when that batsman comes out and walks onto the cricket pitch and I must must say I don't really I haven't really worked much in cricket but what the batsman is 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 thinking there as David said is, is going to make a difference and how that batsman is feeling is going to make a difference to how they function physically out there on the crease and and if that batsman perceives that suddenly the importance of his or her innings has increased uh, massively then then they're they can have a stress response. And when they have that stress response, you know, their working memory shuts down, they, they, they don't necessarily execute their technique with a positive intent, you know, they, they're distracted, um, they might be over-aroused, I'm throwing in lots of psychological terms there. And so, but subsequently, it, it leads to a uh, decrement of performance. So for me, it just You can understand back. that. You can understand yeah. that because one mistake in batting, cr- cricket batting is notorious for, yep. for um, the, one of the most psychologically difficult things you can do in sport and, and hence why cricket has the most number of suicides than any sport by some margin. Um, that, that's a true statistic. That's not a joke. Um, uh, <laughs> but you can understand why somebody might feel anxious walking out to bat in that, you, you know, one mistake and that's it. That's the end of your game. So it is very tough. Yeah, tremendously so. You have to, in my opinion, you have to have the capacity to manage your attention, to manage your levels of arousal, uh, your intensity level, if you like, and to uh, be confident that you can execute with intent, in my opinion. Um, and I think you have to have strategies around that. Um, I, I think that 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 walk to the crease is a really interesting one because I think that that's such a make or break time. It's almost like that half, walk from the halfway line to the penalty spot. You know, when when um, England players are taking penalties or any player is taking a penalty, and I think that that's that's an interesting conversation that cricket coaches can have with their players. Is is um, during that time, how are you, how are you managing yourself? What are you focusing on? How are you how are you dealing with it? And that comes back, Stu, to that old the, my old notion of a game face and embodied cognition and um, utilizing your body to be able to focus your attention and uh, manage your heart rate and um, to 
positively rehearsed things that you want to do when you get up to the crease. I think like all of these things, last thing to say here um, is that there's a difference between simple and easy. It's so simple to talk about, you know, but it's, it's, it's challenging to do, but I come back to what is the plan? What's the strategy? If you ask your batsman, you know, what actually you're trying to achieve mentally? What are you, what specifically, what specifically are you trying to achieve mentally? Irrespective of what's going on in the match, irrespective of what the state of the match is, I'd like players to be able to articulate within 30 seconds precisely what they're going to do, precisely what their strategies are, precisely how they can go about their job optimally in that moment. That's just my opinion. This, this is funny. It's funny, David, because um, it's something I've thought about a lot. Um, I've worked in, you know, I, I've been I've, all my life. I've played, and you know, and more recently been coaching cricket. Um, but I've also worked and played an awful lot of golf, and I do think there's some very interesting parallels in in the sports. Um, not least of which, it's the nature of um, the, uh, the the game itself. So, in, in a you know, kind of in a game of golf, uh, Kendall McQuaid talks about golfers operating somewhere between hope and fear, and and I think he's absolutely right in the sense that um, very often, you know, one at the very highest levels anyway, you know, kind of one bad shot is the difference between food on the table and not in the most extreme cases um, or, you know, paying your mortgage or not or whatever at, at the very elite levels. Um, that's, um, that's what Desmond Haynes, West Indian batsman, used to call, um, used, he hadn't, he'd had, if he'd had a run of bad form, he used to say, I need to get myself a mortgage hundred. So... <laughs> He would go out and score a hundred just to make sure he could pay the mortgage. So, um, but you see, in those those sports are very, I think, have that, and you know, they're very rich in that sort of stuff. But one of the things I've always thought about is why there isn't more prevalence of. I always find it fascinating, right, when like people are going into bat. So, for for me, for example, right, I I open the batting, right, and even now, right, I won't consider going out to open the batting unless I've got my thin bat or a stump and I've had somebody throw balls at me and for me to feel the ball hit the middle of either a stump or a thin bat. Um, Because in my mind, I just feel like I need to get into some form of readiness that is going to at least somehow equate, equate to that moment. Now, one of the reasons I do this is because I'm ridiculously selfish when it comes to cricket. In fact, I'm very selfish when it comes to sport, full stop. But in cricket, right, I'm a batter, an opening batter. If I get out early, right, that's it. That's my day over. And I, all I've got to look forward to is to talk banter on with a load of a load of dudes, so that, which is quite good fun. But then And then yeah. stand in the field and, and do all these sorts of things. And it can be, you know, that's an awful big time thief. So from a very, very young age, it was always, right, I'm going to get myself into a state where I'm going to have the best possible chance of being able to perform. And then when I go out there, I'm not getting out. There's no way I'm getting out. I don't care if we don't score any runs for a while. I'm not getting out. Simple as that. Um, and I just don't see other young players, right, going out and doing that. What they do is they go out, play shots, get out, walk away with dragging their back behind them, absolutely disconsolate that they'd got out. But I don't think they've ever given a second thought to how well they prepared for that innings, any kind of strategy at all about how they might construct their innings. And mm. nobody coaches them that. So what's going on? Um, I, well, I think there is, there's a few levels of things going on there. The first one is that your, your mentality of, right, I'm not getting out, is 
vanishing fast. Yeah. The, yeah. the idea of the idea of someone sticking around is going quickly. Yeah. The, the modern mentality, and that I I can see this in ten year olds. Yeah. In, I'm a dinosaur. Uh, the, yeah. Yeah. The modern mentality is: look, I'm going to get out. I'm just going to try and smash as many as I can before I get out. Um, yeah. And that's just increasing. That's increasing and increasing. There's you know 2020 cricket, and you know the new ECB competition is going to be even shorter. There's ten over cricket happening now it's um even the new junior formats takes the focus off losing wickets um and puts the focus on scoring as quickly as you can um so it's all going that way so that's the first layer of that um it's almost like well yes you know my here's my plan my plan is to just smash as many as i can but then the second thing is um that yeah there is still a big tradition of we must coach children how to play in the technically correct way and that's still a very strong tradition and that I think that's fading as well a bit and certainly in the circles that I work in um but there's still this tradition of um if if they've got a good technique that's all that's all that they need yeah um and then maybe you can build a game plan on top of that you know if if they've worked out a good technique but actually it's it's the other way around really I think it's what you need is you need to decide how you with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And a play, and that is so dependent on context because opening the batting in a test match is completely different from opening the batting in a 20-over match, let alone coming in with three balls to go uh, in a match and you need eight, eight to win. You know, there's so many different contexts within that that it's, you know, you have to start with context, I think. And then you can start to build techniques around what you're trying to do, where you're trying to hit the ball, how often you need to hit the ball and how much you need to stay in for. Because as I say, in a in a 10-over game of cricket, you don't need to stay in for very long. So, so you know, you because it's unlikely your team are going to get bowled out. So... If you are an opening batsman, maybe your job is to score as many as you can in the first five overs and then get off. So, you know, context is everything. And then you can build a technique and a method around around that, I think. Well, which is a very important point um, that, you know, I talk about a lot, which is, you know, you've got to establish the context for the players to learn within and then allow their techniques to emerge according to the context that we provide. So, yeah. hence, a big, I'm a big believer that, you know, young players I'm working with will have more opportunities to prepare and more opportunities to kind of be ready because they'll have been exposed to a lot more what I would call cricketing problems as opposed to uh, having honed a technique in a non 
um, a non-realistic or non-representative environment. But I'm still going to come back and I want to bring you back in here, Dan, as well, because I think it's a really interesting conversation about, I mean, this is just something I've seen across the board about this whole mental side. And, you know, it's always seen as something else for someone else to do and it's nebulous and all those sorts of things. And I think your point about a mental structure, I'm actually pretty aligned to, you know, because it's almost, it's, it's a bit like having, and I equate it to this, so to, and this might be a very crude um, uh, example that might not work or an analogy that might not work, but it, it's the equivalent, you would never, most sports people wouldn't consider, um, wouldn't consider being, um, uh, wouldn't consider getting involved in a game um, without having done some form of physical preparation. Now, it could be as light as something like a prep, a warm-up of some kind, or they've actually physically trained to make themselves strong enough and resilient enough to be able to perform the actions that they need to perform on the basis they know they're either going to get injured or whatever else. They'd never consider not having that kind of physical preparation. But we don't consider having the same level of mental preparation. We don't train... I know it's not a muscle, but the equivalent of our mental muscle. We don't, do we? We don't spend time training it. We don't spend time making it strong so that it's, it's capable of uh, withstanding different uh, perturbations and challenges. We don't really think about it in that way, do we? Do you do it yourself, Stuart? Do I train my mental capacities? Yeah. So one of the things that I think that we often, we don't even consider. So counseling is seen as something that you just go to when you're broken and you're weak yeah. and you're yeah. fixing. Yeah. We need a problem fixing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you just hope that your brain has survived for 40 years and everything works perfectly. Well, Without I think I, there's a load of crap in there as well that needs straightening out. I think I do. And I think a reason I do is because I create a lot of, even in my own practice, let's say golf practice, right? I create a lot of golf games that have consequences because I'm trying to equate my, uh, my um, performance in practice to as much as possible to be as representative as to, as to the game form. So, and by doing so, I create myself a pressurized environments, which I believe are also training my golf brain. And that's partly because I read Dan's book about golf tough as well. Um, you know, which is this idea of kind of creating representative. Yeah, there you go. There's your Christmas present, Dan. Um, (laughs) um, but, but you know what I mean? That point of training ourselves mentally, is that, you know, you've worked in all sorts of spaces. You must see it, see what it's like. Is it, does it happen? I don't know. Is that why you you didn't have dinner last night? That was the, that was the consequence, wasn't it? (laughs) I'm not having dinner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dan, what do you reckon? I, I, I think, oh wow, where do I start here? Um, so, look, I think first and foremost, you're spot on, Stuart, in as much as uh, the one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful form of uh, mental training, if that's what we're going to call it, is done on the court, on the course, on the pitch, uh, as you're practicing. Um, uh, and the game design, a game design, um, a great game design will not just help players acquire skill, they'll help players acquire skill enveloped in mental skill. So I absolutely fundamentally agree with that. But let me just, and, and this is where I harp on, sorry, I harp on about psychosocial driving the other areas. Let, let's just take, you said something brilliant about your cricket game. 
okay you said that i feel and i'm kind of paraphrasing you here so please excuse me but i feel most comfortable when i've i've used my thin bat um with one stump and i've kind of whatever it is you said there i have to do that to help myself feel most comfortable so what as a psychologist i'm listening to that and i'm interpreting that as wow what a great great clue that stuart has given me there for that that is an absolute necessity for his mental preparation to go out and compete to the best of his ability Uh, and and as david said there's a context thing here so if the context is a 2020 and i've got to go and get as many run scores many runs as i can as quickly as possible well, to be able to warm up mentally, I've got to get my thin bat out, have one stump, blah, 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 fill my way in. And as a psychologist, I'm thinking confidence. I'm thinking focus of attention, the ability to direct my focus of attention, uh, feeling more comfortable, uh, stretching myself there, being ready for being stretched out on the pitch, etc., etc. So what you're saying to me is a habit okay that is a physical habit or even a technical habit if that's what you want to call it that is enveloped in mental skills Mm -hmm. so it's it i think for me a big part of it is helping coaches understand that i'm not going along and getting my watch out and saying look at the watch and look into my eyes that's not what sports psychology is i know most people know that i'm going to an extreme example there but you can take the notion of physical actions and draw them down into mental preparation. You're mentally preparing there, Stu. So mm-hmm. I think, just very briefly here, I, I think what it requires, Stuart, and what it requires, David, and what it requires, Nick, is much more of an acknowledgement, much more, many more coaching conversations between coaches and players around what you've just said. Well, when you're at your best, when you have your best game, tell me about what you've done to prepare. You know, try to seek out little clues that, that, that you can then help players use as part of their structure or framework um, that they can repeat in the future. You know, and, and that, that, that's such an important question to ask. You know, what do you think other players do? What do you think the best batsmen in the world do? What little habits have they got? I think coaches have to more readily have conversations around that. And then I think that that can act as a forerunner to help structure or add a framework into the player's mental preparation to go out and compete. Dan, do you think that's done well enough in the talent development pathway in terms of helping people understand what frame of mind they need to be in in order to perform their best? How do we help people learn that and where and when is the right time for it? I know that was about 18 questions in one there. Sorry about that. Um, You know what? I think, uh, look, I wouldn't be so brutally i wouldn't be so bold as to say i know across every talent development pathway whether whether um different governing bodies do this or not but i i think we can always get better at it nick and and i think one of the things um i think and coming away from that conversation i had at uk coaching a few weeks ago one of the things i wish i'd said is that i think that coaches should actually learn a psychological framework to help them be better at their question formulating, better at listening uh, for the fine detail 
better at interpretation of words and better at helping players find solutions. Uh, it might be a framework like solution-focused brief therapy or rational emotive behavior therapy. That might like sound like an extreme thing to say, and it might coaches might go, oh my God, I've got to learn another thing here. And that, that might sound quite mountainous to be able to learn. But for me, Nick, I think the answer lies in just helping coaches appreciate the language and the art of conversation more uh, um, to find solutions. And I think that frameworks introduced onto courses would go a long way to helping coaches be uh, more appreciative of this side of things and better. And just understanding that psycho- sports psychology isn't just psychological skills training mental skills training it's it's patterns of language and it and it's and it's helping players uncover solutions does that kind of answer your question yeah it does i I don't disagree i think if we had um if we had coaches that understood most of the national teaching spectrum and, and, and how to apply that and then knew a little bit about bloom's taxonomy of how to answer ask you know ranges of questions and whilst there might be a lot of different questioning frameworks or kind of understanding of teaching styles, I think if everybody had a better understanding of, of that, I think coaches would be in a better place, to, especially when it needed them to answer that ridiculous it depends question because, because they would actually be knowing what it depended on and then they could apply something rather than just go it depends and not knowing any more than that. They would actually have some of the answers yeah. I I, um, I also feel um, Dan that it's actually one of the reasons why um, I'm so passionate about um, contextualized learning and and representative practice because I think what you, you're almost getting like you know more bang for your buck because if you can make it representative enough and you can layer in certain elements of pressure then you or, or whatever it might be you know whether it's pressure consequence reward whatever whichever way you want to go with it what you can do is you can then begin to have some of those interesting questions in a practice environment a relatively safe to fail environment whereas if you're working in a more isolated structured rigid um and more kind of technique em, em, technique focused space then you can't really have those questions because you're not really creating enough questions in the minds of the athlete around how performance might stand up in the theater of competition. So I feel like that's one of the reasons I think that it's that the, the methodology sort of goes hand in glove. I completely agree. I could, last week when I was uh, at, a, at, a, at a football club, this is an example from football, uh, and the club uses, uh, is, is very, very good. The coaches are very good at using uh, a representational learning design. And it just, what I find as a sports psychologist, and I come in from a perspective where I'm not there as an expert on football at all. I'm not there to be, uh, to be an expert on football. But it enables me to have a deeper, richer conversation with a player but because the context is um, game specific match specific it's it's aligned with the context of what he will experience on the pitch on match day at the weekend Um, the only thing you're missing is 50,000 people there but that's okay that's that can't be helped but it enables you to 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 ask those questions about well when that happened there and you reacted and responded in that 
that in that way what were you experiencing why why did you react and respond in that way what took you over there why did you speak to that person like that why was your behavior like that for the next five minutes you know and and, and also relating it to match day as well so look Stuart I, I absolutely agree with you that's quite complex though Dan isn't it because there you're talking about having some really good observational skills having a deep understanding of the game being able to reflect in action, put together some really good questions, then listen to the feedback you're coming, you're getting back to then ask and follow up with some other good questions. So there's a lot of really quite complex stuff that you're, that you're asking for that we should be able to do. I think, um, obviously from my perspective, I don't have a deep understanding of the game. So I can continue to ask questions and probe and help the players to, to problem solve and troubleshoot their own game. And I wouldn't dream of actually advising. Um, but um, yes, yes. Okay. My answer is yes. And I, and I think as you're coaching, I'll, I'll borrow from Doug Lamov here. There is a, a skill to um accruing as much behavioral data on the run as you possibly can as a coach. There is an element here, you're quite right, Nick, where you've got to forgive yourself as a coach. You can't see everything. You can't do everything. Yeah, and it's yeah. obviously a time, do you, do you have that conversation on the run? It's not always applicable to, you know, do you have that conversation later? Or do you not have that conversation at all? And, and you set up a learning and design the next day that actually probes that for players themselves. So there's more of an implicit learning there. Um, um, so I, th I think you're right. It is complex. Coaches aren't going to get it right every single time, but it doesn't mean we, we, we don't strive to help coaches get better at that side of things. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think in coaching, we've got a really good opportunity because, because if we try stuff, nobody dies, right? If we ask a question slightly badly or we pick up on the wrong trigger, it's not like you're trying to attach the, the aorta to the wrong ventricle. Like, you know, there's no serious consequences of death if we, if we get some stuff wrong, if we try it. Nick, I would have killed so many people by now. Uh, well, I, I would have, I would have, I would have had a mountain of people dead if uh, it was similar to heart surgery or something like that. Because you know, most of, most of my questions are horribly bad, and I'm I'm after 15 years learning. I'm at the bottom of the rung, so I'm learning all the time. Yeah, but you, you're not. You just you've gone through that curve of recognizing. We all get to a point where you realize we know nothing, <laughs> yes. or what we thought we knew was probably wrong. But yes. it's it's. It's how we accelerate the learning of the people that haven't got to that stage yet that think they're right is, is also, I think, part of our process. Rusty, thoughts? Yeah, I, mean, I did a, like a webinar type thing with, with the FA yesterday around this and I'm, I'm going to try and be the anti-echo chamber. Um, you were very good yesterday, apparently, I heard. Um, it needs translating. <laughs> You've already used lots of words that I don't understand. <laughs> um, I mean, that just, I'm, I'm, I'm being deliberately provocative to everyone really coaches don't you know they're just lots of long words from psychology often you know it's in the form of academic papers as opposed to practical examples um psychologists are very expensive so you know so for example at the rfu uh, the person who works in patho works four days a week um that's that's clearly you know and in some clubs they have them one or two days a week you don't fully understand context you don't get enough opportunities to notice and you know start to look at behaviors um uh 
I'm, I'm, you know, I would start every single coaching course with something about the brain or noticing or behavioral or whatever it might be. However, no one is, not that I'm aware of. Um, and so it's, you know, it's tough for coaches. I think, um, yeah, I, I would, I would, well, so my question would be to you, Dan, if you were, you know, think of the environments you've been in, you've obviously been to lots of environments. If you were the head coach, um, and, and often, by the way, my other, I don't see that many psychologists on the pitch um, experiencing a session like, um, if you were head coach, I mean, how would you have designed those environments differently? What would be your top three or four things you would have done differently across the environments you've seen or the best, the best ones you've seen? What were the top three or four bits? Um, great question. And, and just the first thing you said there about language, um, I completely agree with you. And I think we in sports psychology need to be much better at that. And I've always said that. And that's why, um, without sounding like an ass here, that's why when you pick up my books, you read game face controllers, squashing ants, as in automatic negative thoughts, match script and things like that because my big influence was a guy called Bob Rotella who in the mid-90s wrote a book that kind of scaffolded the language down and made it much more accessible for players. And as a professional golfer, I used to listen to sports psychologists speak and I used to think, well, you know, I don't really understand what you're saying. So look, first thing to say is I completely agree with you. Um, wow, you've asked a big question and I think it's it, it, it's challenging to, to answer. I think that what I come back to what I said at the beginning is that my job as a sports psychologist is to uh, the environments I've worked in. And at the end of the day, Rusty, I work in predominantly an elite environment where there is money to pay for me and, uh, and to have enough time with me. So at the very elite, there's not enough teams. I, I'm sorry. I come back to structure. I come back to framework. Um, I've, I've worked in a specific environment that has been quite close to you. Um, where there wasn't a structure to the mindset of the players. And so they collapse under pressure, um, in my opinion, in my opinion. Um, I've seen it time and again in football. Players cannot articulate what they're trying to achieve mentally going onto the pitch. Now, what I'm not asking for is the players to say to me, well, Dan, I'm trying to get in my individual zone of optimal functioning. And when I hit the right-hand column of my inverted U hypothesis, then, of course, I'm going to be in big trouble. And my anticipation and awareness and my, my functioning is going to be dead, etc. It's not what I'm after. But what I am after is I'm passionate about, and I think the future is players able to go, I want to achieve this this and this and this is what we and and it, and it's in conjunction with the coach rusty it's in conjunction with the coach and the coach can speak that language so i can only speak about my stuff my colloquialisms i want every single player to absolutely know their game face that is going to envelope the the way that they execute their skills that's going to envelope the tactics that they've got to execute and i can give you all the science behind that the embodied cognition the self-efficacy theory but we don't even need to know that but what i damn well want is you as a coach to reinforce the game face and i want your teammate to reinforce force that game face not enough players have conversations amongst themselves about mindset so if i take a football example i want the right winger or the left winger or the fullback to have a conversation with the striker and say you know what you know what dan when you when you're doing this this and this that really helps me that really helps me mentally 
I drop off, I self-sabotage when this happens. You know, when the opposition is all over me, I need you, I need you to come to me and tell me, come on, speak to yourself confidently, come on, come on, good body language. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking on the run here, so I would say, again, I'm very sorry, but I want, I want a framework for each individual's mindset, and that's an individual mindset, but I want a framework there because I want to know when that player goes onto the pitch, they are able to self-manage. At the elite level, you can't self-manage. You're going to lose us the World Cup. You are going to lose us the World Cup. Number two, I want every single player to be able to uh, – we've got to um, accept vulnerability. And, and, and I want every single player to understand that and know that and be tolerant of that and not to dig other players out, but to help each other and form a common language amongst themselves, you know, to be able to help each other. And then third, it come back, comes back to all the stuff that you do at the Magic Academy and that Stuart talks about and Nick talks about is, is the, the representational learning design and, and, and great creative practices where you can still envelope that in mental skills. So although players the experiences they have in those practices they get better mentally i want more i'm greedy here right i want coaches also to have a language around mindset that envelopes those practices as well so those will be my three things dan um uh, i've just just recorded a podcast with um sarah kelleher who's the um under 18 girls coach for um uh the hockey hockey um fletch is working with her or has been to observe some of her sessions. Have you seen her in action, Rusty? I've seen her in action. I've seen her coach. I've seen her um, do some stuff with business. She's pretty um, She's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and anyway, the, you, uh, you'll be interested in the conversation because she talks about a motivational climate. And she is a coach who y- you might not necessarily agree with where her some of her uh, insight has come from and where some of her training has come from. But what, what she is talking about is very much the idea of if we can foster an environment and she talks about um, um, flourishing. So she has a flourishing model and she talks about how she can foster an environment with a group of group of young people who've got various challenges going on in their world, which where these things, these ideas emerge. And it's really fascinating, and I um, I'd be really interested to sort of get your reflections after 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 you've heard that episode because I think it's it's very much about what you guys have talked about, not necessarily using the same kinds of language, but it is the same ideas though, the same ideas of how can we um, foster an environment that is you know, and it's quite how sometimes these things work against each other, you know, that is that is creative, um, and yet challenging, safe, and yet uncomfortable, and um you know and she you know things like you know how, how do we develop grit yet in the same in the same breath um you know uh allow for um empathy do you know so it's a really dynamic environment that she talks about it's really interesting i think one of the points that rusty made was a really important one was the best psychs that i've ever worked with in, in my coaching career i dragged them out on the pitch with me and they were stood next to me so they did some stuff with me to help me get better and they did some stuff with the kids on the pitch to help them get better. You know, I don't want them just in the classroom doing, you know, a, a classroom session on goal setting or imagery. I want them on the pitch, bringing it to life in, in context. And they're absolutely the ones I think that, um, that can make a difference. And for, for Dan's world as that particular ology, I think the more, more of those people that are doing that 
in situ, in context, then I think people get a much better understanding of the difference it can make to people. On the leather sofa on the pitch, though, yeah? Oh, of course. You have to, you have to wheel the couch out. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, it's not proper fixing people. I mean, even the, even the name psychologist would give people fear. I mean, however, it's the same with analysts. So if we called everyone a coach and we, you know, it was just normalised that people were on the pitch and they were, you know, they moved around and there wasn't this hierarchy, then they would, you know, I think it would lead to better outcomes for players. Yeah, yeah I think part of that's the challenge that, you know, uh, of of the label that we've attached to what we think a psychologist is from history. Um, I think those, you know, those people that work very hard to train and become psychologists, I think that do it in a way that we think it should probably be done. I think, I don't think we should get hung up on the title, but ultimately I agree with you. They're just a coach. And I've just had a conversation with somebody else a second ago now that, you know, my, my other half as a psychologist, I, I tell her she's just a coach. You know, she's just a coach of the bit between the ears, right? You know, and the sports scientist, coach of the body bit. So, sorry, Rusty, go on. I say when when she's telling you about all her qualifications, you're saying, yeah, but you're just a coach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And I know that I'm going to have to make my own dinner that night. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys, look, I'd love to carry on. Um, I'm conscious of everybody's time, not least of which mine, because I'm in a ser- motorway services and I've got to head up to see my brother because it's his birthday. Um, but I really appreciate you coming to join me for my Christmas party. Um, hey, woohoo, what a, what a way to rock a Christmas party, hey. Um, but I've enjoyed the conversation. I didn't know where it was going to go, but I've enjoyed getting your reflections and I've enjoyed having the conversation that we've had. Um, I wish you all the best for whatever the new year brings you. Um, and hopefully we can reconnect at some point during that year and uh, continue to share as we all learn. Rusty, if you speak to Fletch, it's a month now. He said he was meant to call me. He still hasn't. Oh, my God. So, um, <laughs> yeah, 29th Guys, of October. But, you know, I guess there's a big satellite delay up to the north. You know, I get that. Well, yeah. while, while we're calling each other out, Levette, um, Lucy says you owe her a response to one of her earlier well, emails. I've heard that, but um, I, I'm still trying to track down what to. So <laughs> I don't know if she's, if she's left me a voicemail. That's just pointless because I don't listen to voicemails. Oh, there you go. That's probably. And it. my voicemail says, "Don't leave me a voicemail because I won't listen to this." <laughs> why? Why have a voicemail that says, "Don't leave me a voicemail"? Well, but, absolutely, hey. yeah. <laughs> right, guys. I appreciate your time and uh, have a great one. And um, see you on the other side. See ya. Bye. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Talent Equation podcast. If you like the show, then please consider supporting it by leaving a review on your favorite podcast player, telling your friends about it, or even becoming a hero and show your appreciation by becoming a patron. Just head over to thetalentequation.co.uk and click on the Becoming a Patron button at the top of the page. So there you have it. Really enjoyed that conversation. It was a little bit crazy. People coming in, dropping in, dropping out. A couple of guys came, didn't get to say anything, and then had to leave. So, uh, Phil Carney, I do appreciate. I know you're waiting for a ferry, so I'm sorry we couldn't get you on. But I appreciate you making the effort. And uh, and uh, we'll have another chat in the new year. It'll be great to catch up with you again and find out what's happening in your world. Um for everybody else out there i do hope you have a fantastic christmas i know i can't wait for it to arrive it's been 
pretty hectic year. Lots of fantastic stuff going on. Really, really kind of enjoying the, the world of coach development at the moment. Uh, a lot of change, but also uh, a lot of very exciting things happening and, uh, and more to come in the new year. So for everybody out there, hard at work with their coaching and all that sort of stuff on that learning journey, uh, I do appreciate you coming with me on this uh, crazy roller coaster of learning and development. And uh, I do hope you have a fantastic time. I also hope you wish you all the best for the new year. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Going to have a little break now for a couple of weeks from podcasting, but I'll be back with uh, some uh, new and interesting and exciting guests uh, as early early in the new year and, uh, and we can carry on with this learning journey. So once again, all the best um, and uh, I do hope you have a drill-free Christmas and, uh, and also happy Drill Denver. So <laughs> goodbye and have a good one. <laughs>